I'm Billy Buttery, and this is Foodist Culture, a podcast. It's 2022. How did we get here? Time flies when you're eating delicious food. Today's guest is wonderful, and I loved our chat. But before I get to today's interview, I want to share two fun words I've recently learned. First is a Japanese word that I'm going to butcher. Kuchisabishi, which is when you're not hungry, but you eat because your mouth is lonely. And ugh, same girl. Am I right? <laughs> Next is a Greek word. Meraki which is to do something with soul, creativity, and love, to put something of yourself into your work. And I just really love that. That's how I feel about the podcast, and I hope that that translates. I know episodes have been sporadic, and I apologize. The great thing about this show is that each episode is evergreen. They can be listened to and enjoyed all year round. One thing I want to share, care of Kayla Barnes on Instagram, is food is the most overused anxiety drug, and exercise is the most underused antidepressant. Whoa, right? When I came across that, a light bulb went off for me. I've recently made some strong changes in my daily life and the way I approach food. Plus, with this episode having been recorded a few months back and re-listening to it, I love the timing of how it's now coming out at the start of this calendar year. Today's episode features Moksha, who is a fountain of knowledge. I will say our chat went deep. The food we put into our bodies affects everything. And as women, hearing Moksha connect the food she was eating and her cycles and how she felt was huge. I love her food journey. And listening to her speak of food as medicine and fuel really is a great reset for the way I had been looking at food as of late. She has wonderful cooking videos on YouTube and Facebook. I will link those in the show notes. Just a heads up, we talk religion, menstrual cycles, vegan food, and raw food. And let me tell you, raw food, I'm not sold. <laughs> but Moksha has some great points. Cheers. Hello, Moksha. Thank you so much for joining me today. Greetings, Judy. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. I'm so glad that we connected, and I'm so excited to hear more about your food journey. And I'm happy to share. Happy to be on here and to speak to your audience and, you know, just give them a little bit about my background. Um, I don't know if you want me to jump right in. Yeah, of course. Well, usually the first question I ask all my guests is, how do you define your cultural background? So my, my cultural background... And it's, so I was born and reared in the Caribbean, um, on the Caribbean island of Grenada. And so, you know, I am of West Indian heritage or West Indian culture. And, you know, in Grenada, we speak, we, of course, we speak English, but we have influence from um, previous French colonizations and British colonizations. So there's a, a mix and a hodgepodge of um food influences as well as language influences um, that have happened over the years. And some of it has carried down or passed down into um, a lot of the the way we speak, the way we dress, the things we do. Um, and it has influenced even the foods that we consume and the dishes that we enjoy to this day. So, you know, there's a lot of influence in, in several places. And, you know, the, the most, the heaviest influence you see actually is um, African culture, right? We have a lot of folk music and drumming, dancing. We have festivals and so on that are very reminiscent of some um, West African festivals as well. So there's a lot of um, varying cultures that has given rise to what is considered the that's amazing. And are you still in Grenada? No, I I now currently live in the United States. I I traveled here some years ago, um, and I've been here since then. That's awesome. 
When you mentioned um, in uh, when we had spoken earlier that your journey sort of started at age 15, do you want to um, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so my, my food journey, in terms of my vegan food journey, because that has been my focus since, you know, 14, I kind of transitioned. I had a wow moment, and um, that's where that, that um, connection with food and um, plant-based foods began. Uh, it actually started because I, I was actually going through a lot of pain, right? Pain through, um, from having cycles. Cycles that were, wow, they, it was an experience, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. I would have cramping where I'm on the floor. I have like, you know, temporary paralysis, things like that. Oh, wow. It was just, yeah, so, and I couldn't figure out why. But um, at that time, I, I started taking food and nutrition. And one of our classes actually began to explore food lifestyles that did not include wheat and dairy. Uh, that's when I learned about the lacto-ovo and pescatarian and, you know, things like that. And mm-hmm. um, in, in looking at those, for some reason, I decided that I was going to try them to see just to see what it was like, right? To explore those different lifestyles of eating, even though I, you know, I, at that time, of course, I was living, still living in Grenada, but at the cultural influence on our food weighed heavily on the use of root veggies and meat, right? Lots of, we call them wild meat or what's considered exotic meat, um, mm will be used a lot of fish and seafood, right? And so some of those, a lot of those, um, I read off of eventually, myself off of eventually, but from exploring the vegan and the plant-heavy lifestyle, I realized that it had a huge effect on my cycle during that time when I shifted into the vegan and the plant-based because I, I, you know, I explored each one separately. Mm-hmm. And when I did, I noticed that even my bleeding lowered or decreased. My pain decreased significantly. Um, and I only noticed that when I decided to extend my time on the plant base because it felt so good. It felt so right for me. And so, you know, that's when my connection to food and food as medicine and the healing power of food actually began because I started to see how, you know, selecting different foods actually helps to aid the body, right? Whether it's in healing or to reverse some of the the issues or the inflammation that can sit in the body. That's amazing that it's such Go ahead. No, no, sorry. I was just going to say that's amazing that at such a young age, you were able to notice the difference with feeding your body um, with the food it needed and then the connection to how you felt. Yes. You, you know, if I did not have, you know, they say it's in the absence of light or it's in darkness, light is observed. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I, I noticed was if I did not have the influence of the uh, foods that we ate, right, I would not have been able to see the contrast. I would not have been able to see the value in actually switching to plant-based. So if I maintain plant-based, yeah, that would, would have been it. But I would not have been able to come to the realization of 
how the difference actually helps to improve our lives. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm grateful for having that opportunity uh, to be exposed to one step lifestyle or certain types of foods and being able to transition and see the difference because that's where the, that's where that um, the genius of, of food and its healing power was, you know, revealed to me. And I'll tell you this, like I said, we ate a lot of seafood. So, Billy, it was, it was a uh, crayfish, crawfish, um, clams, oysters, squid, uh, mm-hmm. octopus. These, these were all um, options, right? And yeah. because we're, Grenada is a small tri-island state in the Caribbean, we're about 135 square miles. So we are surrounded by Caribbean waters. So seafood isn't very far away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to drive to another state to enjoy fresh seafood. It's always there. Um, and again, we consume monkey and, you know, all of these foods or uh, meats that were considered uh, exotic, right? Mm-hmm. Turtle and, and other things. So and that was back then. Um, yeah. I'm sure some of these aren't on the, the menu now. Uh, <laughs> because of environmental reasons and so on but yeah it's it's always I always reflect on that and I like to share it with others because you get to see the difference you get to see the difference and the only way you're able to do that is when you start off with one lifestyle and when you switch you get to observe how it works with the body and then I can share with others right because it means that I applied it right I didn't read it in a book somewhere mm-hmm that's awesome. Well, I want to throw it back a little bit further. Um, so do you remember, like, what was your first memory of food being as a kid? Hmm. Uh, my first memory of food, uh, I'll share. <laughs> so I was, um, peanuts had, peanuts are um, really important. I say they're important to my memory with my father because he would, he would always patch peanuts on a Sunday evening. And we, we he would do that right before, um, right after or before we played Scrabble as a family or before we played our personal one-on-one Tetris challenge game. Because <laughs> I, he played, he loved it and he loved to challenge me to it. It was awesome. Uh, but my earliest memory was, is, of me as a young girl climbing on rocks um, very close to the sea and an area where my grand aunt lived at that time. I would always go to visit her on Saturday. And um, I really loved that area because it was very dry, always hot, but you could smell, you know, you could smell the sea breeze coming up from um, the shore. And she, she kind of lived a couple um, hundred feet away from shoreline but I, I i remember myself carrying around a peanut can <laughs> i tell the story I, said, I mentioned peanuts because it was a peanut can and i carried the peanut can because i just i love peanuts just like my dad did mm-hmm. and i used i i, I had the last two <laughs> bits of peanuts from the can and then i used the can to collect rocks <laughs> so, that's awesome <laughs> I love that. Well, and it sounds like um, in Grenada, there's so many beautiful 
cultural celebration surrounding food. Did you find that once you started transitioning to a maybe different diet and uh, food regimen than your family, did you find that that was difficult? It was. That, that is something that I wanted to shed light on. It was, um, it was difficult in that, you know, our celebrations, a, a lot of celebrations that we have as people globally centers around food, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't say that's just for us. It's everyone. We all do it. But there's a, there is a uh, uh, fixation on creating large pots, large pots of what's called our, our um, signature dish, which is oil dung. And oil dung is typically curry and coconut with breadfruit, which is a, it is very similar to, um, a very similar to the look of uh, jackfruit or durian, but mm-hmm. it's not. The inside of the flesh is very solid. There aren't um, little sections or nor are there seeds on the inside, but it's very starchy um, along with a variety of meat and um, dried salt fish and things like that. So that was the type of food. And I grew up on that. So I grew to loving that type of food and enjoying the smell and reminiscing on the smell. So the transition was difficult, but once I learned how to, there's a term in the Caribbean around um, certain groups of people who are called Rastafarians. Um, they practice what's called farai, or they're called Rasta. So they utilize a term called ital to represent or to speak to food that is vegan food food that contains no meat or just purely vegetables. So once I learned how to align with that community, actually, and I learned how to prepare ITEL foods, which, again, we could we would take the regular dishes and we would just chop and screw them and remove the meat, period, and just keep everything else. So we kept breadfruit, we kept all the other items, the coconut and so on, but we took out the meat and we realized that, wow, we can recreate a dish that we enjoyed same fla- with the same flavors, some of the same foods, but it was um, pretty much aligned with the foods that were healing foods for our body. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the difficulty was that um, I lived in a home with uh, parents who expected the breakfast was, you know, um, sausages with bread and butter and milk. And so once that shifted and changed, of course, you know, my mother was concerned. Um, and after a while, you know, after a while, they kind of let you do what it is that you do when it comes to selecting food. But there was always a side eye as to what you do. Because mm-hmm. that's strange, you know, that's strange. And at that time, no one was shifting or changing their lifestyles to be plant-based or vegan except for people, again, who were in the community of Farai. So it was, it, I was always an odd ball in that way. In did, you, ways did you have um, like a mentor or someone that you learned recipes or sort of helped you um, learn plant-based or vegan lifestyle growing up? You know, I, I really, I can tell you at that point, at 14, 15, even up to 19, I really did not have anyone. 
well, okay, I, 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 I take that back. <laughs> I do. I do. I, my mother mm-hmm. um, and my family members, the women in my family, rather, because they love to feed people. They are, you know, uh, we have chefs, we have bakers in the family. Um, my aunt got into wine and when she got older and that just became an amazing talent that no one she had, she mm-hmm. would make wine out of everything. And um, I'll tell you a little bit more about my fermenting story later on because I was trying mm-hmm. to do what she did and it just ended up in something else. It became something else. <laughs> but... The, those are my mentors, right? And I, I, just in terms of food and food prepping, because when it came to transitioning to vegan foods, I didn't have a mentor for vegan foods. So I used everything I learned from them and from my food and nutrition teacher. Back then it was Ms. Wagner um, at the St. Joseph's Convent. I used all of the methods they taught me and applied them to me and we make dishes that I could consume that were, you know, the board of eggs and, and, and of dairy. And, and mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like you had such a strong foundation of being in the kitchen um, with the women in your family. So you understood the principles. And I think um, sometimes, you know, I joking that you have to know the rules and don't know how to break them. <laughs> right. So if you know the foundation of cooking, it's, just makes it that much easier to add different elements like taking away meat, um, taking away fish, taking away different things and still make a delicious meal. Yes, this, this is definitely true. And I think sometimes that is the, the downfall and that's where the gap is for men who are trying to transition or would like to incorporate more plant-based diet um, or plant-based, uh, plant-based lifestyle or more plant-based dishes. It's that it's not that they don't know what to do, they just aren't sure the, about the flavor combination. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're a little bit antsy of, or anxious about removing a particular meat flavor and thinking that there would be no flavor, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I, think, I think if you do go back to the foundations of um, food prep, you do learn that utilizing the animal fat is what gives you the flavor and and so on, but you don't realize that they are subtle and um, beautiful flavors that can be enjoyed from veggies, right? But sometimes the way we food prep them has to shift a little bit just because there's, there needs to be less cooking time, right? Or else you, you end up with something bland because you cook the veggies for too long. But yes, I definitely think that there is that foundation um, that, that's necessary. And then once that's in place, it makes it easier. However, I don't think I go. To, I can go into a, a culinary school and you know present myself. <laughs> you know they might send me marching through the door, really. Uh, <laughs> they might send me marching through the door. And but there's also something else I wanted to talk about. There's that. There's an energetic interplay as well in in the kitchen watching. Um, women food prep because you see them and I spoke about this on uh, my last uh, my last my last live like I do a midday motivation where we just talk about food and health and things like that and I was talking about the energetics of food um, even when it don't even when it comes to measuring 
right? Not just the energy that we impact to the food, but also the energetics of understanding how much a thing how much flour, how much sugar, all right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's, I guess we call it the eyeball. It's just eyeball the measurement. It's, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's more than eyeballing. There's an energetic knowing that an older woman does when she takes up a scoop and just pours it in confidently. They mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's annoying. And I think that comes from watching observation, but also doing a lot of the food. And connecting with the food, you know, connecting with what you're creating. Totally. I mean, I... Um... For me, I have to use my hands when I'm mixing, when I'm doing like, unless I really need a mixer, if I'm baking something very heavy that I I would take forever to, let's say, need dough or something. I love getting my hands dirty. I love pouring spices into my hand to feel it in my fingers, to rub it, to smell it. I think that that's so important with cooking and that energy translates to the food. It definitely does. Have you ever seen... um Water for chocolate? Water for chocolate? No. Water for chocolate is exactly what you just described. It is a beautiful story about a young woman who learns um, food prepping and cooking from watching. Um, And there's a lot of turmoil in the family, but that's exactly what's happening. You see an energetic connection between the ingredients and um, the young lady, but you also see that there is an emotional connection and that emotional connection actually allows for her to transfer her own emotions to food and you see it play out with people and when they eat her food what happens to them how her energy actually affects them and I think you know the film was so beautiful because it's an excellent uh it's excellent imagery for us to think of and use and think when we get the food prep for others for families or for anyone because it, I think, I think that's an excellent example of what you're speaking of. Mm-hmm. That's the way energy transfers through food in very subtle ways. Totally. And to speak of meat for just a moment, um, a couple years ago, I had looked into um, getting meat from like a small, uh, small boutique farm near me. And one of the things that they were very proud of was when you bought ground meat, ground beef from them, um, it was only from one cow. And I never really had thought about that before, that when you're buying ground beef or ground meats from the grocery store, usually it's many animals. And it made me so sad to think of, like, no wonder, um, you know, sometimes when you eat uh, mass-produced uh, food, you're not just eating, you know, one animal or one batch of lettuce from the garden or one, you know, t- tomatoes off of one tree. You're eating from so many different sources and all of that energy, you know, goes into the food that you're eating and then you're absorbing that into your body. This is true. This, this is, I, I think that's a huge point that you make. And, you know, I think it, it, it actually can be utilized when you're thinking about even orange juices and prepackaged juices and other items that are bottled and preserved and so on over time. Um, there's always this, you know, when you go to the ingredients list and you read, if you, you know, like if you are someone who uses bottled juices and so on, you, when you look at the ingredients, it will say, you know, oranges from Peru, Italy, and I don't think those places actually. Mm-hmm. But there's just there's just so many different 
source resources or sources, sorry, uh, that go into making that one batch of drip of um, juice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it does make you think about, like, if food is supposed to influence us in a certain way and supposed to support our system, immune systems, as well as, you know, just our function in our connection to the earth, you know, how are we throwing our system off when we're constantly consuming this mixture of, you know, for those who eat that from all the different places or for juices, juices with oranges from all these different places and we're not focused on consuming foods from trees and plants that are in our vicinity or totally. in our environment. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in herbs, when you study herbs, you study and realize that herbs grow in places where they're most needed, right? Um, and there, I recently moved to a space in Jersey and I noticed that during the actual pandemic, there was, I just started noticing Forsythia growing all over. And I was like, wow, why is Forsythia just blooming like this? Forsythia is strategic in aiding lung um, lung issues and supporting you through lung issues. So you can create it as a, as a tea. And I don't mean to digress, but it mm-hmm. just ties right back into the value of consuming from one source the value of consuming from sources that are close by or right next to us in our environment because we're connected. We're connected to food, food is connected to us, and of course the plant, the agriculture, the environment. There's this continuous flow of energetics and energy, Um, and it it helps us to remain connected to each other as well too. You know, so I think you, you bring up a really good point. That's amazing. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, I interviewed a dear friend of mine, um, a few months back and she had, uh, on her last trip to Jamaica, she had met with a Rasta yogi and she had asked about his diet and, you know, he looked amazing for his age. So she said, what's your, what's your secret? You know, what are you, what are you eating? And he said, I'm alive. I eat things that are alive. I don't eat things that are dead. And she said instantly that sort of shifted her perspective. And since she has told me, it's something that I think on often, you know, if you, if we want to be vibrant people full of life, then we should be eating more things that are, that are alive and that are, uh, that promote livelihood. Yes. And so, so live food has been something. And when he says live, does he mean raw vegan food? Yeah. Raw vegan. Yes, 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 yes. So I, I took the step into a live vegan journey um, many years ago. And, you know, since then, I kind of sh- shifted a little bit. So I do incorporate some cooked foods. So I consider myself high raw. Mm-hmm. But when, we, when I started off, I lost so much weight. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, you, you, you know, I eventually put it back on. But the glow skin and the level of energy sometimes I didn't want to sleep at night I couldn't mm-hmm. because it just felt like a ball of you know energy maybe mm-hmm. like an <laughs> so there was so much but there were um, increased um, health benefits as well too because even though when I shifted remote when I was younger I shifted to plant based and I, I maintained it because it helped with my 
menstrual flow. You know, the truth is, once I shifted into raw, my menstrual flow reduced significantly. And I was, you know, at that time, I was still, you know, in my 20s, mid 20s. When I shifted into live and I can see the difference. I could see the difference in um again energy, how how long I could go, how long I could study, because at that time I was um actually studying education um and science at Medgar's college in Brooklyn. So Mm -hmm. there was there was a lot of um there was a lot of you know, just late nights and, you know, needing to, to move off of energy over a long period of time, a lot of study and so on. Um, but it helps, you know, the that raw vegan lifestyle helps. That's awesome. Um, so now are you, com- sorry, are you completely raw now? No, I, sh- I have since then shifted into high raw. Mm-hmm. So um, what I consume, and it has dwindled even further because at one point I was steady 90, 85 to 90% raw. Mm-hmm. And then everything else I would have steamed veggies every now and then or stir fry. Mm-hmm. Uh, or some soup because I do like soups. I like warming things because mm-hmm. I'm on the East Coast, but I'm further north, so it gets really cold, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started off, it, but we started off as 100% raw. And at that time, my mentors were, you know, a beautiful family, right? A beautiful raw family. They were actually um, shifting from fruitarian lifestyle to consuming fruits and leaves as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that gave, you know, just shifting and uh, allowing me to be a part of that family and allowing me to be a part of their, you know, just the food prep and so on, it taught me a whole lot. You know, everything that I learned about the basics of raw food prep and um, even raw food nutrition and balancing meals and so on, I learned a lot from them and just added on to it. Um, and they, they, they did this successfully with five children. Wow. Just say, yes, successfully. I mean, there, there was a lot of um, pushback because you know, the mother would go to the hospital to deliver. And of course, there was always pushback from doctors and nurses because of the lifestyle, because mm-hmm. they were eating um, and there were certain inoculations that they would opt out for. And no one, they couldn't understand. They didn't want to understand. But even when the baby came, they wanted to, you know, they, they kept saying, wow, the bone density of these children is so, you know, it's, next level they've never seen it before they want to observe that mm-hmm. um and that that's that bone density was due to the lifestyle the eating lifestyle that they've seen for so long which was the raw vegan lifestyle so you know there's just there's just so much value in being able to see variety you know you focus on food as culture and food being culture right mm-hmm. uh, the podcast of food is culture and Culture is just so expansive, right? It's so expansive and it helps to dictate. Sometimes food dictates our longevity. It dictates, mm-hmm. you know, certain things like health 
when it comes to generational curses or reversing generational curses. Um, I'll go as far as to say that, you know, I don't want to diss or speak badly about any foods that anyone chooses to eat, but I, I definitely think that it has the, this far-reaching effect. For sure. For sure. Um, I'm so interested with the... Um, I can't remember what they're called, like blue, blue areas or blue countries or something, but it's, there's a few pockets in the world where the average lifespan is so much higher than it is um, in North America or in other places and looking at their diets. And a lot of times um, I, I, the ones that come to my head is a village in Japan and um, there's a village in Greece as well. And both are near the ocean. So they're more pescatarian um, lifestyles, but lots of, fresh tomatoes and fresh um, fresh fruits and vegetables that aren't necessarily cooked, maybe just a little drizzle of olive oil, a little bit of salt, but it's it's very raw with some fish. And I think that there's definitely something to that, you know, that it, it's literally increasing their lifespan. It is, it is. Dave. And I, I mean, what do you think about, you know, over-processing of food? And um, because... You know, I think I think you're onto something. They're onto something, um, and you're onto something making that connection because mm-hmm. we predominantly see that certain parts of Western um, society, you know, the staple is a fat diet. It is, uh, you know, I don't want to use you know like the terms people throw around a lot, but it is, the fat diet is like really zooms in on, you know, what is the issue is that over processing, and I wanted to know, what you, you know, what do you think about? I mean, I think when we think of overprocessed food, personally, I think of beige food. <laughs> I think of overprocessed chicken nuggets. I think of overprocessed cereals. I think of um, overprocessed breads and overprocessed burgers and all of this sort of um, instant, easy things, fast food that we that we reach reach for. And there's so little amount of actual nutrition left in those foods. And of course, I'm not going to say that I don't, you know, every once in a while, I don't bring my son to McDonald's. Of course, I'm trying to do it less because I am trying to be more mindful of um, food as treats, which is sort of, I think, the way that I grew up in the late 80s and early 90s was it was like a celebration to go to McDonald's, but that food is beige and it's beige because it's overprocessed because there isn't much nutritional value in it. Um, and then what happens is we eat these easy overprocessed beige foods and then we feel gross and we have inflammation, which we equate to being overweight or being not fit. And then we go on these crash fat diets and restrict ourselves as opposed to taking the steps back to um, more raw and more food and food as nutrition and food as fuel. You know, this is, this is, this is so true. The food as fuel, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to it being entertainment and uh, treats. And I grew up, I, I grew up in that way. And I'll say that because one, one very powerful example is the celebration of birthdays. I, I don't celebrate birthdays anymore, but, um, growing up, my parents celebrated birthdays. They made it an important part of the things that we did together. And food was the way we did it. You know that? And I'm mm-hmm. not talking badly about any of those experiences at all, but it just goes to show how food as treats or mm-hmm. rewards um, 
has been used and passed on without, you know, I, I don't think that there was any conscious thought into, you know, how does this impact, negatively impact the impression of food, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, and I, I, I think we've learned that. We've learned that, okay, I did this well, you know, like let me go out to eat. <laughs> That's the no. first thing. Or let me have um, ice cream. Let me have something. And if you notice, the foods are always over-processed foods. It's never, okay, let me have a crazy strawberry sorbet right now because that's the best thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that I can think of. Um, uh, of course, all, you know, not as much sugar as, as like a regular sorbet would, but that's, you know, the point is there's always the leading toward the rewards and those rewards are always strategically food that, that have um, led to a lot of the diseases that we see that are rampant, you know? Mm-hmm. Talk about obesity. Talk. Let's talk about chronic um, heart failure, stroke, things like that. Those those things. Hypertension. It's it's everywhere, and it's very it's predominantly found in Western society. You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's creeping into other parts of the world. We're getting wrong because you know we live in a global world where. There's McDonald's here, there's McDonald's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think um, I was, in a recent episode, I was speaking to a woman and her family is from Italy. So when her when they would celebrate Christmas, it was this beautiful beef broth with this delicate homemade pasta and it was so beautiful. And I think that in other places of the world, they celebrate by putting a little bit of extra time and care into the meals that they're preparing at Christmas or Easter or whatever the celebrations are. But in um, North America, especially like I'm in Canada, for Thanksgiving, we eat a turkey that's been like over buttered <laughs> with lots of different things on it and then stuffing which is just over processed bread cut into cubes with you know more stuff in it and um it's just so many so much beige food once again um as opposed to it being the celebration taking extra time to maybe prepare a meal that takes a little bit longer but is more healthy and nutritious and um like the if you think of what Thanksgiving is supposed to be about it's supposed to be about the fall harvest and all the bounty and eating you know delicious squashes and delicious pumpkins um it's turned into let's eat a big turkey with lots of different carbs <laughs> this is um that's I'm glad you said that because it gave me a reminded me of uh, an earlier question you asked about you know what it was like uh, with the transition, what were some of the challenges? And that's one of the things, that's one of the points I, I make for me. You know, very similarly to those foods, the turkey and the, we, we celebrate um, Christmas in a very big way in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the, one, one thing we do a lot of is create a whole turkey and then a whole leg of ham is big oh, wow. as well. So yes. The whole leg of ham. And then there's sorrel, which is so delicious. Um, sorrel is the, I know sometimes it's called hibiscus here, but it is a, um, a drink that is made from a red um, flowering fruit that uh, we add 
spices and other things to boil it down and make a cool drink with it. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that. There's yam pies, there's macaron pies. The macaroni pie we make can be cut with a knife. That's how thick it is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and yeah, I make a yam pie and yams are purely, yams are really good, especially if you're, um, you know, you are labor, you are a laborer. It's an excellent food to eat because if you won't keep, you, you know, you won't have a lot of weight on it. But mm-hmm. if you're sedentary, that's a, that's a problem, right? Yams mm-hmm. can be very, um, it can cause you to gain weight because it's very starchy. Mm-hmm. But if that's not bad enough, we add cheese to it, we add milk to it, and then we cream it out and we make a pie from that. That can be <laughs> cut with a knife. <laughs> it sounds so, delicious. Okay. So, <laughs> it sounds delicious, but... Uh, it can lead to serious, serious sleep clogged arteries mm-hmm. over time, and you know we we see that now. We're seeing um, a lot of those um, the effects of those foods, eating those foods for for such a long period of time. We're seeing it in the health of our community now, in the health of the population in Grenada, not just globally, but you know, in other pockets, in other countries throughout the Caribbean. Uh, but that, you know, I had the same reaction you had. I was just like, it's delicious. What's yeah. going on with me? Why am I shifting? Why am I changing to this event? <laughs> yeah. I, I did because it had such a, a great effect on my body and helping to regulate my cycle. I couldn't deny um, the positive effect that that switch had. And after a while, I was able to, um, I was able to drink aloe and things like that too. It's called, what you're doing is you're breaking down the taste buds. So you're actually cleaning the palate. And that's the key to it. Like if you're able to clean the palate for seven days straight or even 14 days, your your tongue and your, your brain, your brain may be able to identify the food, but your tongue is no longer enjoying, will no longer enjoy the flavors of the heavy salt and the cream cheese and so on because over a period of time, you remove that um, that flavor from your palate. It's still in your memory, you know, mm-hmm. but it won't be as enjoyable. You know, you can smell it, but you won't necessarily begin to salivate because, you know, it's there. So. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things I want to touch on that you said. So um, about the taste buds, my husband and I did uh, the whole 30 a few years ago. And I remember eating a plum after after the 30, 40 days. And for bringing it back to my childhood, because I don't remember a plum tasting that good um, in, in, in recent memory. And it was because I think my tongue was, wasn't uh, in tune to the nuances of how delicious fruit is because I had been eating so much processed and convenience foods um, up until we had done that cleanse. So resetting your palate, um, you know, at least once or twice a year or at least every couple of years is so important because you get to sort of reintroduce yourself to all these delicious flavors that are in fruits and vegetables without anything else. And then um. I'll... Yeah, and then, <laughs> no, like I like that you're able to say, you know, be able to say, okay, yeah, I can actually taste it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, sorry. Um, well, and then I wanted to talk about the juices. I've 
interviewed a couple people from the Caribbean islands and their and uh, Africa, and it seems to be this theme with the fresh juices as a celebration uh, drink at Christmas, and I love that. Especially the hibiscus, the hibiscus drink with the spices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. So, is that something um, that you still enjoy now? Yes, I do. I do. I do. Um, that's actually directly connected to the fermenting uh, explosion. That's what I wanted to. I wanted to um, recreate a wine using that. But I, I just touch on the juices. So the juices are always. Those fresh juices are always made at uh, for celebrations. But the truth is, you know, a little bit about our culture when it comes to fresh fruits and veggies and and so on. We eat a lot of meat, but there there's an abundance of fresh juices and fresh fruits. You know, that's part of um, that's just part of the ritual. I remember as a child looking through the window and just looking at the it's called a French cashew, French cashew tree. So it, it, these are cashews, but it's not the same cashew as the cashew where we get the cashew nut from. Mm-hmm. Um, we had we have those in Grenada too, but not as many as the French cashew. The French cashew has a very pink skin with a cotton white flesh, mm-hmm. and there's a, a, pit, a pit inside, um, and the flowers are. Fuchsia, they're like neon pink. They're beautiful, beautiful. And as a kid, I used to look through the window and I, we call it clocking, right? Clocking, when you're looking at, it's a Caribbean term, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're just monitoring something because you, you're waiting for it to bust the fruit so you can eat it. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. so I used to look at it over a period of time. French cashew makes a beautiful, light, but very satisfying drink. Passion fruit, it grows on the vine. They're, they're, I think at this point, everybody knows about all these different exotic fruits. And so passion fruit is, it seems to be very popular uh, these days. But it has always been a major, uh, you know, a major part of the juice <laughs> squad mm-hmm. that, that we use every day. So juices are, fresh juices are consumed every day. The biggest mm-hmm. problem, though, I will, you know, that's, that's always, for me, I'm always thinking about and reflecting on the good and the positive, but I also want to look at what things hinder, um, hinders the body from extracting all of the nutrients from something like a juice. So we would add so much white sugar, mm. so much processed white sugar. And, you know, at one point, Grenada actually made sugar, right? We actually processed sugar and eventually... Um, alcohol using mm-hmm. sugar um, because we had, you know, plantation sugar, sugar plantation, sugar cane plantation, and so on. But sugar is utilized a lot, and so you find that even though we have the fresh fruit and the fruit isn't pasteurized, so it retains the high levels of vitamin C, especially in something like passion fruit. The the downside is the sugar, the, the sugar levels, and and you know we have. A lot of cases of uh, diabetes and things like that in the Caribbean. It's very, very, it's prominent. You know, people have elders with cataract, and a lot of it is, you know, a direct effect of uh, long diabetes over long term, high levels of glucose in the blood for a long period of time. Um, 
but I digress because I just want to talk about the juice mm-hmm. Um There are a couple of, uh, of others. Um, plums. Uh, when you said plum, I said plum and I said plums that way because I thought of plums that are in the Caribbean. We have um, two sets of types of plums. Um, I Forgive me if those names are um, offensive to anyone, but that those were the names you grew up with at, in the Caribbean as, as children. Mm-hmm. Saying these, so one was called a Chinese plum, and the other one was called a Jamaican plum. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, the flesh is very yellow, but they're much smaller. They're about a quarter of the size of a pl- uh, plum. The plums that you would buy here, mm-hmm. and, you know, in the U.S. or you know, in Canada or, or so. Yeah. So um, it's very different, but will make use out of that as well. Citrus juice was always something that was also an important part of everyday life. And you would drink juice and have lunch or dinner at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I just wanted to share that. We would make lime juice and you can totally try that today. It's absolutely amazing. Just limes and mm-hmm. water. Mm. <laughs> that, that reminds me of um, being a kid. My we my dad and I spent uh, a lot of time in Jamaica when I was a kid, and I, that was one of my favorites was uh, fresh lime juice and water. And the uh, where we used to stay at the there was it was this little uh, resort that had these cabins, and the at the bar in the center of the cabins they had an ice machine. So he would literally like it would be shaved ice, and then just. F- tons of fresh lime juice over top and it was I just remember drinking it as a kid and being so refreshing in the hot sun in the middle of the day yeah. Yeah. That's right. so yummy um so now speaking of the way you celebrate today if there is do you still sort of revert back to old ways and when there's a special occasion you will cook something a little extra special or do you celebrate in a different way now so the celebrations, because my um, my journey has brought me to an Anu way of life. I am I am a part of the Anu Life Global Ministries, and so our celebrations are really aligned with Hebrew celebrations. We focus on fasting um, a lot, and so you know that's one of the reasons why I said you know I don't really celebrate birthdays anymore. We, you know, I, I also, I stopped celebrating birthdays a while now, so, and also stopped and pulled away from celebrating things, Christmas and other celebrations because I shifted my religious perspective, um, you know, so that influenced the celebrations that I acknowledged as well. Mm-hmm. So for celebrations now, again, it's the season, so when it comes to acknowledging and noting the shift in um, seasons from summer to um, autumn, the celebration is less food-based and focused on fasting and being able to set goals for ourselves um, as a community, but also, you know, I share with my, um, on my platform too, when I'm sharing, setting goals and fasting as well too, so others can you know, feel that shift and move with it as well. So, so it becomes empowering. So in that way, I'm not just telling you, oh, stop using food as a reward or food to celebrate. I'm showing you how you can use alternative ways of celebrating without, you know, telling you, don't eat food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but, uh, um, 
But I do say after a fast, we do indulge in, um, you know, deliciously prepared foods. And most of those foods are raw or um, high raw foods. We mm-hmm. do include juices. I drink a lot of juices, but my juices are very much juiced juices or I blend them. So they're typically very ripe fruits. So a great one that I like to make is a combination of fresh mangoes, fresh, very, very ripe <laughs> mangoes mm-hmm. with um, oranges and carrots. That's a good one. Mm. The typical kale with um, mangoes and ginger. That's another one. And again, we're using a juicer or a blender. I do mm. use sorrel to make fresh juices as well. Um, and I use the sweeteners I do use depending on who I'm making it for because the, some members of my family can and cannot take like agave. So sometimes I'll use agave. There are other times I will use maple depending on what I'm making mm-hmm. and um, what, what flavors match very well because sometimes if you use honey, honey can be too overpowering and it really takes away from the flavor you're trying to get to. So, but raw honey is excellent. So, raw honey is um, and sometimes stevia. That's what I want to share. Mm-hmm. And even dates, date syrup. You know, just just for your audience, date syrup is an excellent um, alternative. If you you know you want to continue making juices, but you're trying to move away from sugar and brown sugar or white sugar, making a date syrup can um, be helpful too. Mm-hmm. I've been noticing more um, smoothies and juice recipes calling for dates in them. And um, I bought a whole bunch um, and they're so sweet. It's so delicious. I I always forget they'll be in my cupboard and then I'll pull them out and I'll have one. I'm like, oh, right. This is so sweet. This is like candy. <laughs> and and that's the, the, the you, do you make it yourself or do you purchase it? Um, I purchased the, the dried out medjool dates. Uh, right, so you can you and you can make those make your own syrup using them and and use um, warm water and sip them in warm water for a while and the water just becomes this thick viscous sweet um, thing that you could use in cheese and so on. But yes, medjool dates, the dried pitted dates, mm-hmm. they're an excellent substitute. They they don't last long here because you know. <laughs> Yeah, they're so good. I I um I was at a friend's house when I was pregnant, I think with my son, and uh, she was like, do you want anything? I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And she goes, when I was pregnant, I craved dates, so why don't, I'm going to put some dates out for you. And I hadn't, I don't know if I ever had had a dry date, like maybe when I was a kid, but it had been years and years, and um, it reignited my, my love for them. They're so good. <laughs> but that's awesome about the syrup, which I... Mm, no, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that's awesome to make your own syrup. I'm definitely going to try that. Yes, 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 yes. The, I wonder if the craving from, for the dates during pregnancy was iron because um, dates are a great source of um, iron. Hmm. I mean, of course, this is just sweet, but the beauty of dates, about dates is that there is the balance of the fiber. So, you know, it, this, the sugars do not get released too quickly into the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that component. But, yeah, 
they, they're a good source of iron. I think too, but I wondered if um, that craving, because I, I, I like to, um, you know, I like to pay attention to, to a craving, right? Say they have cravings. It's always good to figure out like what's happening with the body. Why are you craving? What's the, is there a lack of iron or a lack of probably magnesium? And so you find yourself craving things because then it makes it, it goes back to the energetics of food, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if we're tied to the earth and we're, you know, supposed to be, you know, tillers of the earth, connected with it, connected with the plants around us, then we should know instinctively when our bodies lack a certain thing. And maybe that's what the cravings are. It's indicative of what the body's needing. So it's crying out for that particular thing. I'm not talking about potato chips because that's not, <laughs> that, you know, we were talking about during the fasting, we were talking about um, the craving of textures too. And the crunchy, craving the crunchy could be um, less, probably less connected to um, nutrients, lacking of nutrients and just wanting something crunchy because you need an outlet, you know, so you need the mm-hmm. crunch because you just had a hard day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, I want to hear about this fermenting story because I I have a little bit of a fermenting mishap myself. So I want to hear about what happened when you were trying to make wine. <laughs> so I decided I, um, you know, I just kind of refer when my aunt passed away, um, I said to myself, wow, well, you know, I looked at her uh, just become this whole wine, you know, queen so to speak and um she used everything she used breadfruits you name it anything eat anything you could put your hand on that is a fruit or even a root she decided she was going to make a wine from it. so i said okay well here i am in the u.s i have sorrow um but i also have rose hips and rose petals so i will decide i decided i wanted to make this rosy red wine Mm-hmm. And I, I insisted on it. Well, um, I placed it in a nice uh, big old jar and I included, you know, distilled water. I followed the process that I, I, you know, I, I seen her follow for a while. And at that time, there was a, an elder who owned um, Green Village. And she shared a little, a little bit of a recipe with me. So I utilized what I knew before and what she shared to make it. I added um, the dried rose hip. I added the rose petals and um, I put raisins in there. And I also added some um, agave at that time because mm-hmm. the sugar helps with the, the fermenting food. So mm-hmm. I did that and I decided, okay, I will cover it and place it in my cupboard. I left it there for a while. I can't remember how long I left it there. And every now and again, I would go down and just look at it. I wouldn't move it. I would just check for it. Mm-hmm. Um, after a while I decided okay well, let me take it out and look at it and I saw bubbles but you know I was just like okay it's fizzing it's fine it's good I won't shake it up too much mm-hmm. <laughs> and I put it back I did not release anything I didn't open the, the jar at all <sighs> and because what did I hold then all I knew is I wanted wine so yeah. <laughs> I, I put it back in for a little, and then when I took it out the last time, I tossed it a lot <gasps> without even thinking, yes, without even remembering, oh, hold on, wait, 
there was fizzing happening, so that means there's pressure inside. Nope. Mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, bam, I'm ready to taste this thing. Boom, let's open it. I opened it and they, it just actually shattered. <gasps> oh and it was it, when it boom, shattered the cover, you know, like what was left of the cover hanging off to the top popped off. And, you know, all of my work, all of my patience just, yeah. <laughs> that was it. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. It was these in the sink. They were sorrowing all over the place. It was sweet, sticky red everywhere. My oh. nose was ruined. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, it, and it's a pity that I did not um, record the opening because then I would have had like a whole, you know, uh, fermenting gone bad video. Yeah. I was very disappointed, but it was, you know, looking back at it, it was very funny because I didn't, I obviously didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, that's so funny. Oh my goodness. Well, and you know, that's only a mistake you make once. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> the one and only time I've ever fermented was I tried to make, um, um, not kimchi, but, um, sauerkraut I tried to make sauerkraut and I I was at the time living with two roommates and we had this little pantry closet and I had made a couple jars and put them in the bottom of the pantry closet and you know kind of forgot about them and um you know I guess a couple weeks in uh when my girlfriend the girlfriend I was living with she was saying something really smells and then our other roommates and you know what there's some onions down there maybe one of the onions is rotting so I was like, oh, right. And I was like, oh, right. I, I, I've been making, there's cabbage down there. So I opened it up and there was a little bit fizzy. And again, this is my first time ever making, um, any drinking, anything fermented. And I was like, oh, they're kind of fizzy. Like, I guess that's, I guess that's a fermenting or whatever. And I didn't think anything. And I went to open one. And as soon as I popped the lid, it literally exploded everywhere. And I think I smelt like cabbage for weeks. <laughs> it was just got in everywhere. Just like the vinegary, little bit rancid <laughs> smell. You was, can't get that <laughs> no, our kitchen smelled forever. And I would do, you know, like the old home remedies with simmering vanilla in water with a little like lemon peel or orange peel, trying to get the smell out of the house, out of the kitchen. But I didn't even end up eating any of the, of the, any of the cabbage because it was just the memory of it exploding in my face. I was like, I can't even eat this. <laughs> and you never tried again? You said I ha- it was your only <laughs> Yeah, I haven't. I, um, my mother-in-law, so my husband's Japanese, so my mother-in-law got me a miso-making, or not a miso, um, a kimchi making kit um, many years ago, and I never... I never attempted because I was so nervous that it was going to explode in my face again. Um, but I've thought about it. I have a girlfriend that's made kombucha before and another girlfriend that makes miso. And um, it seems so interesting to me and to be able to make something completely from scratch that we often just think of as something you can buy easily. Um, so I have thought about it, but not. I haven't attempted yet. Okay, okay. I could see I could see how you would be reluctant to so just like, Oh my gosh, it might just happen again and nobody wants to walk around smelling like garbage. 
No. <laughs> no, but it reminds me of being a kid. And when I was a kid, um, I used to collect flowers when we'd go for walks or go to the park. And I was convinced that I would be able to make perfume. And my mom was like, well, it doesn't really work like that. But I was like, no, 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 mama, I can make perfume. So she'd save her old cosmetic glass jars for me, like face creams and things. And I would add the, the little flower petals and water and I would like, you know, put them under the sink and let them sit. And then we usually would end up happening. I'd open them and the, the petals will be moldy. But <laughs> sort of that little um, little scientist at home scientist in me. Oh my! You you you're bringing me back to old memories of my high school days at the St. Judas Convent because I attended a uh, convent school for all girls, and that's what we did in our one of our chemistry classes. We took the hibiscus and we decided we were going to make perfume. It took me right back there. That's that awesome. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> Did you say um, that it was it was called St. Joseph's? Yes. Well, Saint my Joseph's my high school was St. Joseph's College. Okay. Yeah, I, w- I went to an all girls high school as well. A little different than a Covenant, oh. but uh, what's that again? I said it's a little different than um, a, a covenant, but I went to St. Joseph's College, and it was an all-girls school as well for high school. Okay, so it, you, it wasn't run by, always was run by nuns. Um, um, originally, it had been, but when I attended, it had, so the nuns lived in the building, they lived on the top floors, but um, it was run by teachers. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, it always was run by nuns, and we had uh, teachers who were not there as well too but you know we had some of the teachers or dean or principal she was a nun for a while and then that switched over wow that's that's what there's something with that interesting mm-hmm. can you send me I'll, I'll probably look for the emblem just i'm just interested in seeing yeah. the emblem theme and if the schools are somewhat affiliated at I'm- all I'm sure in some way they are. Um, I always found the nuns' habits so beautiful because they were different than any nuns' habits I'd ever seen. The nuns of St. Joseph's, um, their robes were white with a light blue uh, accent color. And I thought always thought that they were so beautiful whenever we'd see the nuns um, coming or going from the building. So I'm sure, and, and the school the school I went to is 150 years old. So I'm sure, well, now older, I'm sure now it's like oh, probably 165, 170 years old, but um when I attended, we celebrated our 150th year when I was there. Yeah, okay, that's beautiful. I don't think our school is that old. So, but I'm sure they're, they're connected because the, the nuns who actually run the school, um, many of them, um, many of them actually travel to Grenada from um, the U.S., Ireland, and so they were coming from all over the world. They were coming, but you know, they they weren't um, necessarily uh, Grenadian. Mm-hmm. It was so interesting. Yeah. So interesting how we've we found each other, and if they're connected, that's just awesome. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Okay. Well, I want to um, talk a little bit about the work you're doing now and how people can um, learn more from you and watch your videos. Um, so should people go to sovereignneeds.com to sort of access all of your amazing information? So sovereignneeds.com is a little bit of a hub for some resources. I do have a 21-day um, fruit-only detox on there that that's you know just free for now that they can anybody can download 
There are a couple of links to our videos there as well, too. I offer consulting services to support uh, women and women and families through the transition toward a plant-based or vegan or raw vegan lifestyle. Um, and we work through a lot of the um, revamping the pantry. <clears throat> and I take families into the, uh, the through the different resources that they can use for alternatives. They find out a lot about different seaweeds and other foods that are um, popular that they can consume, but we always help them, you know, just to highlight the ones that can be um, on the side of being toxic, just because if there's seaweed doesn't mean it's a superfood, boom, eat it. So mm -hmm. we go through all those subtle nuances that may not be available to um, everyone. I also cater, so I, you know, uh, raw vegan catering. I do that. I do workshops um, on, on nut meat making and creating um, nut meats or nut meat flavor or meat type foods to help you with your transition. That's also some of the things that we offer on the website. But if you want to access their links to our Sovereign Sundays, but we do our Sovereign Sundays on Facebook <clears throat> and on YouTube. And you can find me by looking up Sovereign Eats, all right? Our logo is a crown. And we hold Sovereign Eats or Sovereign Sundays um, events. Today's event will be at 6 p.m., but typically it's 7. But we'll, we'll probably go with 6 p.m. for a couple more Sundays because there are certain things that are shifting. That's shifting. Um, and we do a live food demo. On awesome. Sundays, we do a live food demo. It's always a vegan, high-raw, or a raw um, dish to help and inspire everyone. I do a midday motivation on Thursdays at 12.30 just to motivate anyone who is transitioning to a plant-based diet. We have all sorts of conversations around, um, you know, just the last one was um, health and heritage. So we just go through different topics that really touch on really significant and important ideas and concepts around food and health and generational, breaking generational curses that are healthy. Um, mm. And I have the podcast, you know, mm. I have to start a podcast that is a listening experience. And that experience is coupled with a blog post. I always like to give more in the blog post. So there are recipes, they're connected. I have connecting videos to work on meditations and other ways to help us because the focus for sovereignty is always a holistic one. So it's not just about the food, but it's mind, it's, you know, organs, body, communication, uh, skills, interacting with others, networking, all of that. All of the different areas that um, create the whole person or contribute to a whole person being balanced. I think that's awesome because I think sometimes we um, separate mind and food, but it really, it's, it's one and the same. It is. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I'm also, I meant to say, I'm also on Instagram. That's what I forgot. Mm -hmm. And I'll link everything in the show notes. So if anyone is interested, it'll be super easy to click through um, when you're listening. And I think that we could probably do a whole episode on, um, 
heritage and breaking generational um, patterns and everything because I think I'm so fascinated with all of that and slowly starting to dig a little deeper into all of those connections. So I I really hope that everyone checks you out and just watches your videos because your your knowledge and warmth are just so beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate that you have had me on here and I was able to, you know, reach your audience and interact with you. I've learned a lot from, you know, listening to you and listening to your, you know, a little bit of your history because now I know you, you know, you've been to the tropics, you know what it's like, you mm-hmm. you have an idea of, of that experience and you have friends and others that you're connected to in that way. So it, it was beautiful connecting with you all today and sharing. Well, thank you so much. So I want to wrap up with just some little silly rapid fire questions and then uh, and then we'll say goodbye. Are you ready? Really? Are you putting me on the spot? Why? Why? Yes, they're easy. They're easy. I promise. They're fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Apple or pineapple? Pineapple. Mm-hmm. Do you prefer to dine inside or outside? Outside. All day. Do you prefer to be a host or be a guest? Host. Um, well, I, I, you probably don't eat much fast food, but I ask guests, if you're eating fast food, do you eat it in your car or do you wait until you get home? <laughs> Both. I'm eating in the car and on my way to the house. <laughs> awesome. And your favorite food moment from a movie or TV show? My favorite food moment from a movie or a TV show. Oh, my goodness. That's a hard one. How are you going to ask me this kind of question? <laughs> well, you already mentioned uh, water water for chocolate or water of chocolate. Yes, but when you ask a question like that, I have to go deep into the recesses of my childhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, um, it's not coming to me. Why is it coming to me? Okay, well, um, maybe an ad. Is an ad good? Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, my goodness. The... The Kit Kat, the Kit Kat commercial was the thing. I would stop everything I did and do a whole Kit Kat routine. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Okay, and then last question. If you were to pick a food to describe your personality, what would it be? A food to describe my personality. Um, wow. Bird off food dipped in raw honey. Okay. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. I had so much fun today. You're such a wonderful fountain of knowledge that I'm really hoping that people um, that have sort of started, you know, this is in the peripheral start, um, maybe eating a few more raw foods and enjoying more raw meals um, for their health and overall mind-body connection. I definitely agree and I will that it does inspire and motivate them and they reach out to me if they need to or even reach out to you to find out how they can use that effectively. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Enjoy. Peace.